Welcome, everybody. How many guys are excited to be at New Life Church today? Are you? Seriously? All right. I love it. I love it. I love it, man. So glad to have you guys here today. My name is Jeff. If you're a guest here with us, I'm one of the pastors on staff. You guys came for week three of our current teaching series called Lies. So before I get started with that, I do need to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us at our North Platte campus. Uh, you know, that's, that's awesome, right? Everybody worshiping with us online as well. So we want to say a big hello to all of you guys. I know that so many people, they start worshiping with us online and then they go, you know what? I don't think those guys are weird. I'm going to go check them out. And then they get here and then they discover we're a little weird. And so thank you for loving us through our weirdness. All right. I just want to say that. Uh, no, thank you guys so much. I'm glad that we are able to have a tool like our online uh, campus so that people can actually get to know who we are before they walk through the doors of a place that can be somewhat intimidating called a church. And the enemy loves to use lies just like that to keep people from life-giving relationships with others and a life-giving relationship with God. And the enemy has a lot of lies that he likes to use. And that's why we've kind of dug into this teaching series to expose some of the lies that the enemy uses to hold us captive so that we can't become the people God wants us to be. See, at New Life Church, myself and the rest of our pastors and the leadership core of our church, we want to help you become the very best version that God created you to be. And we know that there's a whole world and an enemy who's fighting against you becoming the best version. Oh, you are a version, that's no doubt. There, every one of us is a version of ourselves, but the goal in life is this, to become the very best version, the one that God designed for us to be. That's the journey here at New Life Church. And we, we love the fact that we try to work very hard on helping people who are far from Christ make a journey to become close to Christ. And somewhere in there, you're in that journey. I'm in that journey as well. We're all in that journey at some capacity. Uh, so no matter where you're at, we love you and we're glad you're here. So the lie we want to tackle today is this, that your past defines you. I think many of us, we wrestle with our past and what our past represents and how our past continues to affect our current. And if it affects our current, then it's definitely going to affect our future. And so today, that's what I want to unpack for you. Many of you guys know that I, um, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. All right, anybody here grew up in Missouri at all? All right, so yeah, all right, one person, that's great. <laughs> I just want to say hello to all of you guys online that are worshiping with us from Missouri. All right, now if my dad was here, he would instantly correct me and be like, it's not Missouri, Jeff, it's Missouri. And I'm like, well, I've been gone a lot, Dad, all right? So my vocabulary has changed. To me, it's still Missouri. And that's where I grew up, St. Louis, Missouri. And as a kid, man, I played all kinds of sports. Uh, even in my junior high years and going into my high school years, played a lot of sports. And one of the sports I loved to go watch was uh, the baseball Cardinals, you know, play. I, I just loved that, okay? Uh, and uh, they, had some, uh, they had some incredible players when I was just a kid watching them play. So my parents, they still live in St. Louis, and they volunteer for this organization called Boots on the Green. And it's, a, um, it's an organization that is designed to benefit veterans. And they put on all kinds of events and raise money, and they do things for vets. And my parents have been involved with that for the last number of years, and they love it. They were recently, in the past couple of weeks, at an event boots on the green event at a, at a golfing event that they were helping to sponsor and helping to put on. And one of St. Louis patriarchs walks through the door and my parents take a picture with him and they send me this picture with a little caption. Hey, do you know who this guy is? Who said it? 
Ozzie Smith, come on, people. Man, yeah, Ozzie Smith, only the greatest shortstop to ever play the game. My, my story. Um, the greatest shortstop to ever play for the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to stop the ball like him. I played third base. If he dove into the dirt and ate dirt to get a ball, I'll, do, I'll dive into the dirt, right, to stop a ball. If he takes one off the ground and slaps him on the face and gets the ball and throws a guy out at first, I'll do the same thing, right? Like, I loved this guy. The only thing I couldn't do that he could do is he would run out to start the inning and do a backflip. Uh, my body's just not built for that, right? Like, I don't have a runner's body, right? I got a body that's built to run into things, not, not to flip, right, and to do things like that. So that's the one thing he did that I just like, okay, I'm going to leave that in your hands. So Ozzie Smith, and my parents take this picture with him, and I'm just like, wow, that's so cool. Mom and Dad, you guys got to meet that guy. That's, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. And then as I was putting this sermon together, I started to think. When I saw that picture, my mind flashed back to the man that he was, and it instantly dawned on me. Famous people have to live in the shadow of who they were. I never even thought once, what does this man, Ozzie Smith, after all these years have been playing ball and all the money that he has, could he be doing something, running a foundation? Could he be doing something that's impacting people's lives that might be greater than he ever did on the field playing baseball? My mind didn't even go there. So famous people, they, they have to live in the shadow of who they were, and it's very hard for them many times to break out of that and to become the person that maybe God wants them to be today. And that's a barrier that they have to fight. But I also thought in dealing with our past, so here's famous people dealing with their past, right? I thought about where we live here um, in, in Nebraska, that we, we deal with this issue about our past. Many of us grew up in small town USA. You didn't grow up like me in St. Louis. And in small town USA, some of you are still known in that town for certain things you did 20 years ago. Even though you don't want to be. Because in small town USA, everybody knows everybody's business. It's such a safe environment, isn't it? And if, you, if you've done something in your past, it's hard to shake that past. Just like a criminal. I thought about that, you know, and the fact of your past defines you. I'm like, man, a criminal. Think, think about a prosecuted criminal. And some of you, you're in that category, all right? And we love you. But I, 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 uh, I felt for you this week because I was like, man, every time you fill out a job application, you got to put certain things down. And the other, the other group of people that I thought of that my heart just went, it wrenched for are those who are, you know, on the sex offenders list. That something happened in your past and you've been radically transformed and changed today, but yet the stigma of your past could haunt you for the rest of your life. See, whether we like it or not, the good and the bad of our past can affect us for the rest of our lives, even if you don't want it to. But I think the worst case scenario about how our past has the power to define who we are is what happens when we beat our own selves up with our own past. It's not what other people say. It's about what we say about ourselves. God gave us this mind that's like the best computer that's ever been built and it has the ability to like, you know, like hang on to memories even when you don't want those memories being held on to, right? Like you can forget names and other details, but think about trying to forget your worst day. Think about trying to forget your worst sin. Think about trying to forget, you know, the darkest part of your past 
And it's amazing how the mind grabs a hold of that and just hangs on to it. And then we use it as our own worst critic and we use it as our, to be the toughest person on ourselves. That's the worst case scenario when it comes to our past, defining who we will be today and defining our future. All right, so that's the worst case scenario, but then add to the worst case scenario what always happens, and that's this. That Satan thrives on bringing the worst day from your past, the worst act from your past, and you know, adding to all of the destructive power that you can do to yourself. He thrives on taking the worst of your past and putting it in front of you like a tripping block so that you'll step on it and fall flat on your face. He thrives on that. That's where he lives. He loves bringing the worst of your past and bringing it into your present so that it affects your future. And he'll say things like this, like, what makes you think that you can help people anyways? You're a hypocrite. Like, like remember back to all these failures? Who are you to even think you can help and do anything that's good? He'll say things like this to you, like, you know, I wouldn't be so confident about your future wouldn't be so confident. Remember all of these mistakes? Remember all these destructive decisions of your past? Who, who do you think you are to think that you can make any kind of wise decision that will lead you into a productive future? Or he'll whisper things into your heart, into your mind, and just add on top of what you're already beating yourself up with. And he'll say, who do you think you are to serve at the church? When the, when the church finds out about your past, they're going to kick you to the curb. Or who do you think you are trying to get close to God? Like, don't listen to what Pastor Jeff is saying. Just go through your religious motions. Who do you think you are trying to get close to God? Your sin's way too big for God to deal with. Remember all those addictions that you deal with? Remember the abortions or the abortion that you have in your past? Remember the affair or the affairs that you've had? Remember the divorce or the divorces that you have? Remember the crimes that you've committed? Remember all of those things? And he'll just try to heap it on you and beat you up with it. That's where he thrives to try to keep us away from God. I know as a matter of a fact that Satan will attempt to manipulate anything from your past to control your future, anything. But there's one thing that I love about new life. I love the fact that this is a place where you can be real. This is a place where you can be who you are. And I'm going to prove that in this very moment. Some of you, some of you've heard some details of my past. But I'm going to be the leader for you because today you're going to need a leader who's willing to step out, pull the veil back and go, "Let me expose in front of this entire church who Jeff Baker was." Let me tell you about my past for a minute, not the glory in it, but because you need a leader who's willing to go back there pull the veil back and to show you that this is a safe place and that God is a safe place when you bring your past to him. So when I was 15 years old, I felt called into ministry. But at 15 years old, I didn't feel like I had any examples around me of a pastor or a picture of ministry that I wanted to have anything to do with. So I instantly took that and just said, man, that's not who I want to be. And I did a 180 and started running away from God. And in my high school days, I ended up getting into some, you know, you know some big trouble. Um, my, my girlfriend at the time, her, her name is Kim, all right, which is my wife today, 30 plus years. Come on, somebody. That's good, right? <laughs> Only by God's grace, people. Only by God's grace. Um, but we became pregnant, and I say we because I hate that when, you know, 
guys have to say that she became pregnant? Because that's not the way it happens, guys. It's we. We became pregnant. And here I am having to finish high school with my oldest daughter, Brittany, and feeling the obligation that I need to take care of, you know, uh, what, what has happened here. And so I drop out of sports where I'm the captain of the football team and wrestling team. And I go and I get a job at Frank's Nursery and Crafts. Because that's, that's where all the high paying jobs are. I actually, I actually end up starting my own little business during that time. And I'm just trying to like go to school, take, take care of, you know, my family and... Uh, you know, I, we quickly end up getting married, and, you know, my whole future in front of me now is like, well, what, what am I going to do? I'm just like a teenager, and i gotta, I got to take care of this mess that's, you know, I've created. And so I went straight into the Air Force, running from God, and I just went deeper and deeper into the things of the world, and all the way to the point where I was just a jerk. And I remember looking at my wife one day. I still remember this moment. It's like one of those moments that, you know, is in your past that you wish could be this washed away, but it's still there, sitting in a car at a park, and I look at my wife in the passenger seat in the eye, and just with this blazoned kind of boldness of just being a jerk, I looked at her and I said, I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be with you anymore. And her and her kids, they went back to St. Louis, and I just continued to live the life of a jerk. You know, just doing anything that you can think of. I was that, I was that guy. I was very self-destructive. Um, I, when I went off the deep end, I went after it 110% like I do everything. And I went after living the ways of the world at 110% and at 110 miles an hour. And I am the one who gave myself the title, a genuine jerk. Until one day at three o'clock in the morning in Bellevue, Nebraska, when I'm sleeping in this apartment that I'm in because I gave these two dudes that work with me a couch from Kim and I. And so I, I gave them the couch so I could sleep on the couch. And I'm there and I, I, I remember at three o'clock in the morning thinking about my life and going, look at what I've, I've got, right? Look how good I've led my life. I got nothing. I got no money. My wife's left me. I've filed for divorce and she won't sign the papers. My kids aren't around me. Family's not around me. And I'm sleeping on a couch that I gave my buddies. Like, wow, good job, Jeff Baker. You really led your life well. And I remember at three o'clock in the morning going, Jesus, if, if, and there was a huge if in that prayer, if you'll take me back. And if you will forgive me, I want to follow you. And guys, I'm telling you, it was like the power of the Holy Spirit showed up at that moment. And God did something radical inside of my life at that very moment that changed me from that moment on until this very day. So let's talk for a minute. How did I get from there to standing in front of you here? There was no easy road. And one of the biggest things I had to wrestle with was I had to fight through the lie that your past defines you, that your past defines you. And the enemy just kept bringing my past up and bringing it up and bringing it up. He kept bringing it up in the, in the process of the restoration between Kim and I and the, and the healing that needed to take place in our, in our young relationship there. He kept bringing it up, you know, in, in my own heart where I'd have to go to other pastors and trusted leaders and sit down with them and just kind of talk this thing out where I would walk in with a lie that I was just wrapped up and coiled with. Like, I'm going to throw the, I'm going to toss the talent. I'm not, I can't follow God. There's no way that God would call someone like me into full-time ministry. You know, I'm not qualified. Look at my past. Look at how jacked up it is. And I kept having these conversations where godly men would keep bringing me back to center, bringing me back to center. And then in between those, there were times of prayer where I would wrestle with God with my past. 
And Satan just kept beating me up and beating me up with my past. And even after our marriage got healthy again, and I had completed a number of Bible you know, classes, and I had got out of the Air Force, and I had gone into full-time ministry, the enemy was still beating me up. I remember, you know, I've got tattoos from, from that season of time of just going off the deep end. And it's not like tattoos today. Like, tattoos today are cool things, right? Tattoos back then were like the rebellious things. And I, I, got, a, I got a Tasmanian devil on this arm that I said was small. And when my dad said it, he goes, when he saw it, he's like, that's not small. It takes up your whole bicep. I go, yeah, that was that kind of the point, you know? And uh, I got this Tasmanian devil with this American flag and this machine gun with fire coming out of it. It was exactly who I was. Like hell-bent on just self-destruction and destroying everything around me. And then over on this arm, I got barbed wire that wraps around the upper part of the bicep. And it's like, that's exactly where I was at. I was in prison to my sin. I was in prison to self. Like that's who I was. I put art on my body that represented where I was at spiritually. I didn't even know it. And I was so ashamed of it. Here I am, a youth pastor, and I'm wearing long sleeve shirts, you know, or at least three-quarter length shirts all through the summer because I don't want teenagers to see it. And I don't want moms and dads to know about it. I don't even want my pastor because every time I saw it, the enemy used it. And he said, look, that's your past. Who do you think you are to stand up in front of people and lead them? Until one day, a powerful moment in the shower. I found two things to be true. God speaks a lot to me when I'm brushing my teeth. And I've come to conclude it's because I can't say anything during that time. So my mouth is shut and my ears are listening. And then this shower moment, which is the one and only, okay? But I, I got the bar of soap and I'm, I'm washing my arms. And then, bam, it's like the Lord just spoke at that very moment. Jeff, that's who you were. And you're not gonna take those off because every time you look at them from this day forward, I want, you to be I want you to be reminded, that's who you were. I met you right in that stage and I love you. I loved you in that stage, but that's what I rescued you from. That's what I rescued you from. That's not who you are today. It's what I rescued you from. And never forget it, never forget. That's what I rescued you from. So church, I know firsthand about this lie that your past defines you. And if you listen, Satan will be screaming into your ears. Your past defines you. You're not worthy. What do you, who do you think you are? Don't try to trust God for anything great. And if you listen, the enemy will paralyze you for being a life-giving person. Satan, Satan might not be able to steal your faith away from God, but he definitely wants to make you lifeless with your faith and be able to share it with others. That's what Satan's main objective is with his lie, is to get you focused on your past so that you can't get focused on God's future. But Jesus handles your past in a radically different way. In John chapter 8, Jesus is found with a woman who's called an adultery, and these religious leaders drag this woman into the temple, into the church. Can you imagine that? Getting... Being found in adultery, having an affair, and being drugged into the church in front of Jesus, and then being thrown onto the floor and being said, hey, look, Jesus, the law says that we can stone her. What do you say? And you know what Jesus basically says after he hears the argument? And yeah, that's the moment when he writes in the sand, but nobody knows that. So what did he say? He said these words, okay, stone her. But just be careful. Make sure that whoever throws the first stone should be a person without sin. Oh. And then over the next few minutes, 
all of her accusers, they left her. Then Jesus looks at the woman and he says this. This is how Jesus deals with your past. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Just picture with me. What is the very first thing Jesus does with this woman's horrific past? You know, the very first thing that he does is he protects her from the judgmental people. So for you today, no matter what your past is, what's Jesus' first action step? To protect you from the judgmental people. That's why I stepped up to the plate today and I threw my past out there because I believe this is a safe place. And if it's not, if it's not, here's what will happen. The judgmental people won't walk back through the doors. So here's good news for all of you that have a past like Jeff Baker has. This is a safe place and Jesus is a safe person to bring your past to. And if I sense a judgmental person attacking someone for their past, I'll be the first one to step in. That's the first thing Jesus did. He protected the woman from the judgmental people. Then he goes, I don't condemn you. But pay attention to this carefully, okay? Because some of you are going to think right now, well, then Jesus said, hey, look, it was okay for you to have that affair. That's not what Jesus said. He just said, I don't condemn you. The next words have to be coupled with it, okay? He said what? He said, go and sin no more. He called out her action as a what? To sin. You need to know something today. Jesus isn't going to sugarcoat your sin, but he's not going to condemn you for it. If you bring your sin to him, you're going to find freedom and restoration from it. That's what you're going to find. But if you don't bring your sin to him and you believe that your sin and your past is more than what God can handle, then you're going to remain in bondage. But that's not the heart of Jesus. Jesus wants you to have a face-to-face encounter with him where you are free from your past. Listen to what 2 Corinthians has to say about what he wants to do. Here's, this is where maybe some of you have been as well. He says this, so we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Listen to these next words. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. However, how, dif- how differently we, now, we, we know him now, excuse me. They looked, look, so here's the deal. We once used to look at Jesus and think of him as this, like you're just a mere human, but how differently we see him now. What would be the difference? He's no longer a mere human. He is God. He's God. So that's the transformation. He's not just a human, he's God. So in light of the fact that Jesus is God, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become, read that with me, a what? New person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Guys, because Jesus is God, he's not just merely a human being. He has the complete authority to take your old life and declare it gone. And that's something that from my experience, it happens at the beginning, but then you have to hold on to it. He gives you the freedom, but then you have to hold on to it because the enemy's going to keep coming back. He's going to keep attacking that same spot over and over and over again, trying to find a weak spot. But I'm telling you today, Jesus does exactly what that verse says. He gives you a fresh start. 
He can be the only one who can call you a new person. That's what Peter discovers. We find Peter, which I identify with Peter. He's, he's one of the disciples of Christ. He, he's awesome. But we find him in Luke chapter 5. Jesus shows up and Jesus is, is at, on the beach and he's doing some teaching and he needs, the crowd's got kind of big and he needs to kind of like get away from the crowd, but he's up against the water and there's the crowd and he can't really get out. And so he turns around and there's Peter with his boat and he goes, hey, Peter, um, take me on your boat out a little way so I can, you know, share with this crowd. And so Peter's like, sure, that's okay. He's been fishing all night. And so he takes Jesus out into the water a little ways and Jesus finishes teaching the people. Right? What a beautiful picture of Jesus on this boat, kind of rocking with the wind and you know, the, his voice echoing off of the water and everybody able to hear him. And when he's done, he turns to Peter basically with this attitude, like, I'm going to bless you today. Thank you for taking this last, you know, I don't know, how long do you think one of Jesus' sermons was? Was anybody doing one of these things with Jesus' sermon? So don't try it today, people. Someone said six hours. I have no idea. All right. So here, here's the deal. So when he's done, he turns to Peter and says, look, Peter, let's go fish. And Peter's like, man, I've been fishing all night. I've been fishing all night. He goes, no, look, seriously, take me out to the deep. Let's, let's fish. So Peter's like, okay. So he goes out to the deep water and he throws his net over. And the Bible says that he pulls in so many fish that the net's ripping and he yells to the shore, guys, there's a lot of fish out here. And his partners come out and they're filling up their boat with fish and the nets are ripping and the boats are so full that the Bible says that their boats are starting to sink. They're starting to sink. It's like the greatest day of fishing Peter has ever experienced in his entire life. He's like, I'm so glad we went to the deep waters. But instead, he has a whole different experience. And here's what happens. In Luke chapter 5, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell, he fell to his knees before Jesus, and he said these words, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others that were with him. Peter was caught in this moment where he recognized the miraculous authority and power of God himself in, in flesh, Jesus Christ. And in the midst of this incredible miracle, what does Satan do to him? In the midst of this most powerful moment, what does Satan do to him? He reminds him that you're a sinner and you're not worthy to be around this Jesus guy. And at that moment, his past came rushing into the present, and his past tried to separate him and deny him access to the most life-giving one who's ever walked the earth, Jesus Christ. Your past, if you let it, will keep you from the life-giving one named Jesus. But instead, here's what Jesus does, and the same thing he wants to do with you today. Jesus replied to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed... As soon as they landed, with boats full of fish like they had never caught before, nets that were going to have to be repaired, boats full of fish, so much that they were getting ready to sink. As soon as they landed, what did they do with it? They left everything and began to follow Jesus. See, when Peter was brought before Jesus, and when Peter's past was brought into the presence of Jesus, it changed his trajectory forever. Peter walked away from his profession on his greatest day ever. Now that's the picture of how free a person can be when your past is brought to Jesus. But we all know, a lot of us know the story. 
It was only three years later that Peter had his most epic failure ever. And he denied, he denied knowing Jesus as a, as a disciple. And he denied no, being one that was a follower of Jesus. And he did it three times within a short period of time in one night. And what happened for Peter when that took place? That failure, it triggered a reaction again that Jesus had liberated him from. And the enemy used it one more time and he brought his past back up. And you can almost hear Peter quoting the words again to Jesus that he said in Luke chapter five, but he did it with his actions this time than he did with his words. Oh Lord, please leave me. Oh Lord, I'm going to leave you. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. And it was at that point, church, that Peter's past became a weapon in the hand of Satan. And Satan started filling his mind with shame and his heart with worthlessness. And Satan started bringing up, you know, his past and helping Peter to kind of like role play in his mind how much of a failure he really is. I want you to know today that your past is either a, a weapon in the enemy's hand or it's a tool in God's hand to advance his kingdom. It's one of the two and it can't be both. And Peter, he started believing the lie that his life isn't worthy enough to be a follower of Jesus and that the sins of his past needed to separate him from Jesus. He started believing that lie and Peter started living out Newton's first law of motion before Newton even created the first law of motion. You know that Newton's first law of motion, right? An object that's at rest is gonna do what? It's probably a graphic. I think you're supposed to throw that up. An object at rest stays at rest. Okay, just so that you guys can all feel smart, right? And an object in motion does what? Stays in motion until what? An external force interacts with it. And so here's Peter, he's on a journey of believing this lie, and he's gonna believe this lie unless there's an encounter with the most powerful force, the, the living God, and that's exactly what happens. Jesus comes along and he goes, look, Peter, you're in motion, going the wrong direction, letting your past define your future, and you need me, a force, to come in and en encounter that to change everything about yourself. And that's what happens in John chapter 21. That Jesus shows up and Peter's back at fishing. And he meets him on the beach and Peter sees him and he dives into the water and he swims back to Jesus only to find that Jesus is going to ask him three critical questions that line strategically up with his three denials. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I do, Lord. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. And feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you. Then feed my sheep. And what a painful moment. What a painful moment for Peter in that, in that very instant. But listen to me. It was in that very moment that Peter's past went from being a weapon in the hand of the enemy to a tool in the hand of God. That's what happened that very day. So here's, here's what we need to challenge ourselves with. We need to have a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus today. Every single one of us. You need to bring your past, whatever it is that haunts you, whatever it is that keeps you from thinking that you can be the best version that Christ made you to be. We need to bring our past and don't let our past define who we're going to be today. And we need to let Jesus change our past into a tool that God can use to build his kingdom. So to help you get it today, here's what I want to put up here. Your past plus a Jesus encounter is going to equal a lie destroyed today. Your past brought to Jesus is going to equal a lie destroyed, that your past defines you. He'll destroy it. He did it for the woman caught in adultery. He did it for Peter. and he'll, He did it for me, and he'll do it for you. That's what I know God can do. And in essence, this is what will happen. Your past plus a Jesus encounter is going to bring this. 
It's going to bring real freedom to you. And that's what God wants to do. That's what he did in Peter's life. The results of it, Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches in front of thousands of people and 3,000 people surrendered their life to Jesus. Acts chapter 3. Peter goes on and he heals a man you know, that, is, that is crippled and he can't walk. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, they get thrown into jail and Peter keeps preaching until the council recognizes that these two men had been with Jesus. Peter goes from being a man who's afraid to associate himself with Jesus to a man bold enough to stand in front of thousands and preach the power of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus became the catalyst for a life transformed. He took his past and he radically transformed it. So I know today, guys, every single one of you has a past. But as long as you have breath, God's given you an amazing, amazing purpose. And the faster that you give God your past, the quicker God can complete your purpose. So you have a, you have a question in front of you today. Let God use your past. Don't let your past use you today. One of those two things is going to happen. Who's, who's going to use your past? Are you going to let God use your past? Or are you going to let your past use you today? The lie we tackled today was that your life is defined by your past. But here's the truth. Your life is truly defined by what you surrender to Jesus today. So I want to encourage you. Let Jesus transform your past. That's what he wants to do. Bring it to him. Humbly lay it down before him and say, Jesus, this is what I've been allowing to define me. I give it to you. May, may my past never define me again, but may what I surrender, my past surrendered to you, may that define me from this day forward. If God did it for the woman, and God did it for Peter, and God did it for me, and God did it for so many other people that are listening to my voice today, he'll do it for you. This is a safe place, and Jesus is safe for you to bring your past to. Let's find freedom today as we respond to him. Are you with me? Come on, stand with me. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful. So thankful that you don't hold our past against us. You don't condemn us with our past, but you liberate us from our past. And when we bring it to you, it takes the weapon of our past out of the hand of the enemy, and it puts our past into your hands as a tool. A tool, like today, where I'm able to take my past and share it as a tool of your grace. A tool in the hand of an almighty God. Lord, may we all bring whatever the enemy tries to beat us up with and control us with, may we bring it to you today because you are a gracious, loving, compassionate God who wants to bring freedom to our lives and you want to destroy the lies. It only happens when we bring our past and we encounter a living God. So Lord, would you work a miraculous work in this place today and would you bring a freedom like we have yet to experience in our personal lives? Jesus, have your way among us. In Jesus' powerful name, and everybody said, amen. amen.